up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing thing. The Man of Steel. Who are you? A friend. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Superman, 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 Superman. Superman. This looks like a job for Superman. Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to the Man of Steel. Hello, welcome to Superman Forever Radio. I am your mild-mannered host, Mr. J. David Weeder. And this is episode 53, the beginning of 2013, or as I like to call it, the year of Superman. And this time, folks, I begin a slew of episodes focusing on a character or theme, location, so on and so forth, and looking at the adventures involving them through various mediums. And who or what is getting our focus this week? Well, our subject is one of Superman's most recognizable and yet most rebooted and retooled villains, Stemming from the Silver Age to Grant Morrison's New 52 Tales, he has been a formidable foe for the Man of Steel, and a character who takes that title with a bit of irony. Of course, I'm talking about the man with the kryptonite heart, Metallo. The check's been cancelled, Superman. And so have you. But before we do that, I had some emails come my way that I'm going to share with you folks. Uh, first up is an email from Michael Bradley, who entitled his email, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superboy. And Michael Bradley writes, Hey Dave, I just wanted to drop a quick note to express my appreciation for the latest episode, which is number 52. While technically I haven't heard it as of this writing, I did hear the Smallville Chronicle episodes when they were originally released, and I am overjoyed that they are back for public consumption. Not only is Superboy and all his incarnations woefully underrepresented in podcast land, it was a good show that died far, far, far too soon. And I'm really looking forward to re-listening to those episodes, though they were few, and I'll be sure to give the episode a plug on Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers as well. You've had a lot of enjoyable episodes lately. It seems like you've really been swinging for the fences since the show's resurrection. Keep up the great work, Michael. And Michael Bradley is the host of Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which you can find at greatcrypton.com, exploring the history and development of the Man of Steel. That's a Golden Age Superman podcast. He also does Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster. It celebrates the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the creators of Superman. And he co-hosts the show Green Lantern's Light at GreenLanternsLight.com with some guy named Jeffrey and some guy named J. David Weeder. The Jeffrey I'm referring to is J., uh, Jeffrey Taylor of From Crisis to Crisis. 
And that's where we uh, actually covered the late bronze and modern age comics of the Green Lantern Corps. And I just want to say thank you, Michael. I, I really enjoyed doing the show at the time. I hate that it was so short-lived. Uh, just bad timing on my part. And I was glad to have that forum to reintroduce that material. And once the, the format to Superman Forever changed a little, I was suddenly free to play in this bigger sandbox. So as for the swinging for the fences, I just went out to cover what I see as some of the essential material. And I just went after that in the biggest way I knew how. And there will be a lot more of where of that where that came from as well. And, um, you know, I, I realized I failed to mention, Superboy-wise, that I do a segment over at Superman in the Bronze Age called Superboy in the Bronze Age. So I haven't quite finished with Superboy. He is represented in Podcast Land, but I agree it would be nice to perhaps revisit some of that Golden Age material at some point. Maybe I'll play with that in an episode of Superman Forever Radio down the road. And our next email comes by way of Latverian Post. Yes, it's from Dr. Doom, yet another villain who probably will want to hijack my podcast down the road. But Doom writes, Darkseid. Doom just listened to you talk about Christmas. Doom hates Christmas. However, Doom was impressed by your show. Doom felt it was quite adequate, not that Doom could do better. What? Oh, I misread that. I'm sorry. Not that Doom could not do better. Doom yields to no man. Doom likes that you did not want to become Superman as your squeaky-voiced minion suggested. Doom met Superman once. Doom did not like him. Doom was intrigued by your idea of a show about Sequest, and Doom liked that show. Dr. Doom's probably the only person interested in Darkseid's podcast. Uh, better than that was the other channels. Doom tried to reg regulate in TV in that area, but cable still prevailed. Besides, Murder, She Wrote was made by Doom's production company. Doom liked that show also. Jessica Fletcher was a mass murderer, and no one suspected. See, that's a theory I've had, too. I, I'm going to stick to Doom's email. Doom's kind of gal. Maybe Doom and Darkseid should team up for a Sequest podcast. Doom's name would come first in the billing, naturally. Doom would also suggest killing your squeaky-voiced minion. That's what Doom would have done. It, it would have been... It would have given the ending an uplifting note. Doom is jealous that you have had an actor of Michael Ironside's capability play you in fiction... I was stuck with that mannequin from, mannequin from Nip Tuck. I even had Shannon Doherty shag for him for me to give him some kind of disease, but alas, he is an agent of Mephisto. And Doom will kill him later. Doom must go now. Have Darkseid's people called Doom's people. We'll do afternoon tea. Hail Doom. Did I just say Hail Doom on a podcast? Um, I forwarded this request to Darkseid, who is you know, obviously going to give an eloquent, eloquent lengthy response as is Darkseid's manner. Uh, Darkseid responded, Suck it, Doom. Darkseid always gets top billing. Darkseid's kind of on my list right now. I don't appreciate when people hijack my show without at least saying, can I come on? So, yeah. I, I um, If you want to email Darkseid, that's fine. I will pass it on because I, I try to be a gentleman. But Darkseid's a douche. And my final email tonight is from Mr. Andrew Leyland, he of Hey Kids Comics and Fantasticast. He writes, Dearest David, just a quick line about your recent Superman Forever radio segment on Superman for All Seasons. Excellent work, sir. SFAS is without a doubt the best of the Loeb Sale collaborations. Whilst the others are very good, and as a Spider-Man fan, I have a soft spot for Spider-Man Blue, the others often feel like building on other people's works. Standing on the shoulder of giants, if you will. 
SFAS doesn't feel that way. It feels like a fresh take on an old tale, lovingly told with exceptional career-best artwork by Tim Sale. Amen. Amen. Your coverage was reverent yet entertaining, full of lovely little nuggets, with an exceptional score, moving effortlessly from John Williams' score for the 1978 movie to snippets of the Superman Return score by John Ottman, a hugely underrated score in my opinion. I assume this took a lot of extra time, but when the music complements the reading so well as it did here, it always seems worth the worth it. So, job well done. In particular, I must commend you for the mentions of the additional stories by Loeb Sale covered at the end, where the effect the stories had on you could not be hidden. This was a true moment of a story profoundly affecting its reader, and said reader being unafraid of letting their emotions through, and by extension, this affected the listener. This was one of the most touching things I've heard on in a show, and Shows the beauty of comics, and this wacky mix of words and pictures can be so heartfelt. Well done. Also, loved your rant on SFAS not having an absolute, whilst that truly terrible piece of shit for tomorrow keeps being reprinted. Who does Jim Lee have obscene pictures of to keep that tripe in print? Anyway, keep up the good work, Andrew Leyland, which you can find over at two truefreaks.lipson.com now. They are now part of the Demons Accord Network, which will probably please Darkseid to no end, because Darkseid's a douche. But uh, really, this 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 email meant a lot to me. So thank you, Andrew. You're you're right. I don't typically score the show, but I felt that this story merited a different presentation than normal. And I'll agree totally that John Ottman's score is really underrated. Because yes, he's taking John Williams' themes, but he does seamlessly kind of expand upon that. And in some cases, he picks up the tempo a bit and kind of makes the music pop in a different way. So he does make his own mark on that. And plus, he edited the movie, so double double duty. And as far as the emotion, I always have a spot of emotion with Sam's story, and probably always will. Um, but when Loeb and Sale enter that for all seasons mode, it just hits my heartstrings, no matter how practiced or how focused I try to bring myself to the mic. Uh, sometimes you just have to let the emotional effect of the story do its work. And, you know, I hate to admit it, but that was another, that was one of my, that was an alternate take where it was a little bit more controlled, so... Uh, but I want to thank everyone for emailing in, even Dr. Doom. I love getting feedback, and you can send an email to mail at supermanforever.com. With that, I'm going to take a quick break, take a drink of a beverage here, and then we will come back to talk about Metallo right after this promo for Superman in the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age of Comics, an era largely ignored as far as Superman goes, and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age, featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weider also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And now to dig into this week's Spotlight, Metallo, the metallic menace to the Man of Steel's Metropolis. Uh, my view on Metallo is to place him somewhere in the middle rung of the B-list. He's raised up a little bit, but my earliest years were filled with uh, Super Friends. 
So we had Bizarro, Luthor, Darkseid, Brainiac, Mixus Pitalik, and even the Toy Man. In fact, the first time I ever encountered Metallo, he was laying on a table getting his kryptonite heart ripped out by Lex Luthor. And really, it was Superman the Animated Series that put Metallo on the map for me, and I still think that may have been the high point. Of course, there's always going to be a bit of bitterness within me when Metallo comes up, because you see, to my left over here is this awesome Metallo action figure on my shelf. It's big, it's brawny, it's imposing, and it nearly drove me insane to track down. Now, the Metallo figure was part of Mattel's DC Universe Classics line. In fact, it was the Build-A-Figure for Wave 5. Wave 5 was something I was really excited about. Uh, it's really what kind of drew me into those Mattel uh, toys. Um, Wave 2 included the Electric Superman, and both Electric Red and Electric Blue variants. But other than that, Nada in the Kryptonian department, um, previous incarnation of the line notwithstanding, which is DC superheroes, which would alternate waves of Batman characters with Superman characters, so not only was Metallo the Build-A-Figure, but the wave was to include a comic-accurate Eradicator. Now to my surprise, when it came time for the fifth wave to roll out, I had great anticipation. I began hitting the stores, tracking it down, and I found nothing. Empty shelves. And, and suddenly, Wave 6 was on shelves. And then Wave 7, but what happened to Wave 5? What happened to the wave I was tracking it down? Well, Mattel basically didn't make enough and didn't distribute that very well to the retail market. So the figures that did make it to the peg stayed there for about .03 seconds before being snatched up and put on the back market. So the set would have cost upwards of $800, and individual figures, even out of package without the Build-A-Figure piece, was upwards of $80 to $100. I spent a lot of rage-filled nights yelling at eBay, crying myself to sleep after rage-gorging myself with Cherry Garcia ice cream. Luckily, Mattel is a company that seems to value its collector clientele, and they re-released the entire wave on MattyCollector.com, finally, finally allowing me to get my big, bad Metallo figure and my Eradicator. And because of that experience, Metallo stood out as a villain for me. So I cracked open that wondrous tome of infinite knowledge, the Essential Superman Encyclopedia, and jumped into the learning and sharing process called podcasting. So let us explore Metallo. For a long time, I thought Metallo was a new character invented strictly for the post-crisis era, and that's kind of true in a way of thinking, but by doing this episode I learned a lot. After all, did you know that John Corbin wasn't really the first Metallo? Or that in in Metallo inspired a Die Hard sequel? Okay, I'm kidding about that, but there is a bit of Metallo in one of John McClane's outings. Now the prototype Metallo, spelled with only one L, made his first appearance in World's Finest Comics number 6 from the summer of 1942. This prototype was George Grant donning armor and... He didn't leave a deep mark. He only made the one appearance in the Golden Age. Um, his only other appearance was a retro tale in 1982's Superman Family number 217. And while Superman fans will normally associate Metallo with John Corbin, who made his first comic appearance in the now classic Action Comics 252 from May of 1959, this issue didn't reach classic status because of Metallo, to be honest. 
because this issue also marked the debut of the Maid of Might herself, the Kara Zor-El Supergirl, who is seen on the iconic cover popping out of her purple rocket to the astonishment of the Man of Steel. But while Supergirl landed in a backup story, readers found this villain in the lead uh, feature, The Menace of Metallo by Robert Bernstein and Al Plastino. In this tale of woe, we meet John Corbin, a former reporter and secret criminal who is leaving the scene of a seemingly perfect murder. And he has staged it to look like one of the one man who knows that he is a thief and an embezzler appears to have committed suicide. But Corbin has a devastating car accident that leaves him on the brink of death when he's found by the kind but elderly Professor Vale, who builds Corbin a new mechanical body that is powered by uranium. The uranium powers the body for, well, only about a 24-hour period. But there is another substance that will be a permanent, stable power source, but... Before the professor can say what the second power source is, a rock slide gives him a heart attack, and Corbin uses his new strength to leave Vale's house and get a job at the Daily Planet. Hijinks ensue that include Lois believing that Corbin is Superman, and Corbin kind of running with that and impersonating Superman, learning that kryptonite is the permanent element that can power his body, but he makes a final fatal flaw when he uses the kryptonite to attempt killing the Man of Steel only to take a prop painted to look like the green one and falling dead from the lack of power. Upon reread, this story is goofy. Now, it's fun, Silver Age goofy, which is good, but goofy nonetheless. Because we have Professor Vale discovering the wounded Corbin and deciding, hey, I'll build a robot body for this complete stranger. One powered by uranium. So, let me get this straight. Professor Vale has uranium just sitting around? I mean, if this stuff was just hanging out in random scientists' houses, why was Doc Brown having issues? How could I have been so careless? 1.21 gigawatts! Tom, how am I going to generate that kind of power? It can't be done, can it? Look, all we need is a little plutonium. Oh, I'm sure that in 1985, plutonium was available in every corner drugstore, but in 1955, it's a little hard to come by. Marty, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid you're stuck here. The very obvious thing that jumped out at me with this first Metallo story was that it mirrored Kal-El's arrival on Earth. It's just a darker, more twisted version of the origin. A crash, a kindly couple, the forging of a man of steel. But by the end of this story, Metallo drops dead thanks to his own lust for killing Superman. And after that ironic death, Corbin would return 18 years later to plague Superman, but it wouldn't be John. In the Bronze Age, Metallo rose again, and this time he was more dangerous than his one Silver Age appearance. Aided by the criminal organization known as the Skull, who had kind of filled the void of the dilapidated intergang, Roger Corbin became the man with the kryptonite heart in Superman Volume 1, Issue 310, from April 1977. In this debut, The Man with the Kryptonite Heart by Martin Pascal and Kurt Swan, Roger became Metallo after an injury incurred during a robbery attempt on Star Labs. Now, it was a manufactured accident, but still. Seeking revenge for his brother's death, he rebuilt Metallo. Sporting new synthetic kryptonite as as a power source, since all kryptonite Earth had been reduced to iron, and he drew Superman into a fight by kidnapping Steve Lombard and challenging him to a fight at a Metropolis football stadium. Unlike John Corbin, who kind of kept his robotic nature hidden under a 1950s suit and tie, Roger wore this orange jumpsuit and exposed his silver robotic limbs, and even had a mechanism in his chest that allowed him to open the cavity and expose his kryptonite heart. But 
Honestly, Roger's crazy hair kept my attention for a lot of this story. He had this quaff that made him look like a young Christopher Walken on crack cocaine. And he also had a cool hovering skiff, which who doesn't want a hovering skiff? He also was defeated when Superman triggered a mechanical heart attack in the villain, who once again seemed to perish like his brother. But even by the end of that issue, Roger is once again amongst the living, continuing his pursuit of revenge. So this issue, to give us some context, it would be like Die Hard with a Vengeance versus the originals Die, the originals die Hard. Roger is Jeremy Irons' Simon Gruber, while John is Hans Gruber, and in a lot of ways this issue is underappreciated, much like the third movie, despite having a lot more going for it than the original. Alas, this will stand as the underappreciated follow-up, even with a more interesting cast and background. All in all, the Roger Corbin Metallo appeared a total of ten times from that 1977 debut to Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1986, and many of those appearances were, well, minor at best. Somehow, he became a bit of a go-to villain of the Bronze Age, along with Terra Man. Metallo's next major appearance was in Superman 316 and 317, in which he is replacing the hearts of Skull Agents with lumps of kryptonite. And he even tries to do the same for Superman, but thanks to Superman, well, faking his death, and a recently deceased citizen of a bottle of Candor donating a heart, Metallo does gain what he's seeking, but it's a dead one. I mention this appearance because it would make the final refinement to the look of Metallo. Because we would add a green metal mask and kind of recolor those silver joints to green. So here is this hot mess of green and orange flying around in the 70s, making bit appearances here and there. For example, did you know he went up against Blue Beetle? Pardon me, Blue Devil? And he popped in on one issue of Brave and the Bold in which Batman teams up with Lois Lane. But outside of this opening salvo and being kind of part of the whatever happened in the main of tomorrow, Mattello never really took Metropolis by storm. He was an annoyance, but the Bronze Age writers reserved him for a sort of background effect, like being in a radio wave guarded cell in issue 331 or a dream sequence in Superman 337. And then a bit part as he is captured by aliens in issue 418. The fact is, the revenge plot fizzled. And Roger Corbin just didn't have the charm or the craftiness to really set himself apart from the pack, despite really actually being one of the earliest legacy villains. But, wait, what is that? Why are the skies turning red? It can't be. and But yet, it is. It's a... Crisis. And right after this promo, we're going to look at the post-crisis adventures of Metallo. In the decade of the 1930s, even the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, was not spared of the ravages of the Great Depression. In a time of fear and confusion, a character emerged that would entertain and inspire millions of children and adults alike. He began not as flesh and blood, but as a simple line drawing. His comic book adventures thrilled millions around the world. The magic of radio gave to his name a breathless signature and sound. Then with television came a whole new generation to idolize his exploits. In the 70s, the world believed a man could fly. In the 80s, he was reborn in the comics and the 90s saw his death 
Rebirth, and Marriage. In the 21st century, he returned to the big screen and saw his origin changed and retold on several occasions. Through the decades, he has gone by many names. The Man of Tomorrow, the last son of Krypton, the Man of Steel. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey i host an internet radio show called views from the long box superman is my favorite character of all time and in 2013 he is turning 75 because of this a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the man of steel in a series i'm calling superman, superman at 75 the celebration, celebration of a legend I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75. The Celebration of a Legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Da 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 da, and we are back. And uh, to continue our look at Metallo, we look at Crisis on Infinite Earths. With Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Corbin Brothers' history was erased. The entire DC universe started from square one, which you know I know I'm covering stuff that's redundant, but it is what it is. But this meant a new and improved Metallo, and the steward of the post-Crisis Superman didn't wait long to bring in the villain. This new Metallo owed more to the iconic 1984 sci-fi hit The Terminator than he did to Colonel Steve Austin. In his first post-crisis appearance in Superman Volume 2, Issue 1, Corbin shared a lot of his original origin with his Silver Age counterpart, just upgraded for the 1980s. Dr. Vale, finding an injured con man, John Corbin, builds a robotic body covered in synthetic skin, but this time, the mission isn't a benevolent one. Vale, having found Superman's ship and the hunk of kryptonite within it, misunderstands Jarrell's recorded message to his son. 
So Vale thinks that Superman is the advance guard of an invading alien invasion and uses his metallo to fight Superman, but Corbin kills the professor for his trouble and goes about his own way. Instead, Corbin goes about robbing a bank when Lois and Clark stumble upon his robbery attempt while jogging together. Veronica and I are trying this new fad called uh, jogging. I believe it's jogging or yogging. It might be a soft J. I'm not sure, but apparently you just run for an extended period of time. Despite being, well, a bit more 80s Skynet than 70s Aquanet, Metallo nearly kills Superman in that first issue. In fact, it's only the interference of Lex Luthor that Metallo didn't finish off The Last Son of Krypton. And this led to my personal introduction to the character in Superman Volume 2, Number 2, in which Luthor rips the kryptonite out of Metallo's body to make himself a shiny kryptonite ring. A ring that would, in another case of irony, lead to Luthor getting his own robotic hand after losing his to cancer down the line. Upping the ante, Metello made a deal with the demon Neuron in 1995's Underworld Unleashed crossover that allowed him to create metal shapes and appendages, uh, allowing him to morph his metal, so now he had a whole new arsenal of weapons to play with. And he would get another upgrade in the arrival of the Brainiac 13 virus in the 21st century that actually didn't sit well with him. He would have problems with his new enhancements, and eventually he sought out Hiro Akamura to build him a cloned body of John Corbin. But out of spite for Corbin stealing his grandfather's designs, Akamura implanted a kryptonite heart within him. The new body was steel alloy with cloned skin that would grow back, and Luthor took this opportunity to implant several forms of kryptonite into Corbin's body, making him an even bigger threat. But, in a way, this wasn't the same John Corbin thanks to yet another crisis. With Infinite Crisis, Metallo's origin was retconned to show Corbin as a soldier who volunteered for a government experiment fusing with a robotic exosuit. However, in a fight with Superman, the suit backfires, and Lex Luthor rebuilds Metallo with the orange-green jumpsuit look. No longer a Terminator-style cyborg, this Metallo took on the Man of Steel and, well, lost. He is Superman, after all. But the government recruited Metallo to infiltrate the newly arrived Kandorians during World of New Krypton, teaming him with the gold kryptonite-infused Reactron and killing several Kryptonians before being stopped. Once again, in 2011, Metallo received a new-ish origin. Very similar to the post-Infinite Crisis version, this John Corbin was once again a soldier who volunteered, ended up being fused with the Metal Zero suit developed by John Henry Irons, thanks to Brainiac. Now, Corbin fought Superman and then alongside Superman with Brainiac. After that first comics arc, he hasn't been seen in the new 52 universe yet. Metallo would also invade Superman lore and other media as well, beginning with M Michael Callan's Roger Corbin in the second season of the live-action Superboy TV series. A bank robber with a bum ticker, Corbin gets rebuilt by an unstable scientist and then goes on to make several appearances in the series' remaining seasons. And then... Scott Valentine of Family Ties made a single appearance as Metallo in the second season of Lois and Clark. Shot in a holdup, Lucy Lane's boyfriend, Johnny Corbin, is, you guessed it, rebuilt with a kryptonite heart, but this would be his lone appearance in the series as Scott Valentine was not a fan favorite. And I know I should put a clip in here of Scott Valentine saying, yo, but I'm not going to dignify it, because nothing says Superman villain to me like the guy who starred in My Demon Lover. Thank you, IMDb. And then there is Brian Austin Green's portrayal of John Corbin in Smallville, which was a surprisingly good turn. 
It was well-written, and this Metello was conflicted, and Green was an odd but really, really good choice for the part of the reporter and decent guy who actually gets completely screwed up mentally after his rebuild. And he owes a lot to one of my favorite renditions, Malcolm McDowell, as the animated version of Metello, who is driven crazy by the complete lack of senses, taste, touch, so on and so forth. Now, this Corbin was already a bad guy, as they established in the actual pilot. And this John Corbin turns to Luthor when he finds out that he has terminal cancer, and then Luthor builds a new body for him, but the price is more than Corbin is prepared for. Now, this version of Metallo defined the character for me, thanks to McDowell's layered and nuanced performance, and the superb scripts and reverence for the character from Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. It was a reboot upon itself, and it really worked, and I still stand by the fact that that really is one of the best renditions. Now, this version of Metallo would also extend to Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, as well as video games like Superman Shadow of Apocalypse and, uh, heaven help us all, Superman 64. That little travesty. Uh, Metello was also a villain used on the Batman, and it, uh, that was the series that looked at the Dark Knight's formative years, including his first meeting with Superman. He was voiced here by the ever-appropriately named Lex Lang, and then Metello appeared in small parts in the direct-to-DVD movies Superman Public Enemies and Justice League Doom, voiced by John C. McGinley, awesome Dr. Cox, and Paul Blackthorne, respectively. And he also makes a cameo with no dialogue, which wasn't in the comics. Very odd, but he makes the cameo anyway in the animated all-star Superman adaptation and the exceptional Batman the Brave and the Bold episode that featured our title hero. And finally, Dirk Maggs produced a BBC audio drama called The Man of Steel that included Metallo as voiced by Simon Tevis. And I know Michael Bailey and Andrew Leyland will probably lay a huge smack of the face on for me on this, but I haven't listened to this drama yet. Guys, listen to me. Keyword, keyword, yet. It's in the plans. I may even cover it on this show, but I just haven't listened to it yet. Don't make me whip out my, my high fidelity DVD. And let's not forget that DC Universe cl- Classics figure, the one that drove me crazy as well as the Mattel Superman Returns offshoot toy line, um, Man of Steel, which was kind of an extension to the movie. These weren't characters that appeared in the movie. However, this represented Mattel as he appeared in the video game Superman Returns, which was one of the, just the wonkiest boss levels either. Let me give you a tip while we're in here. A little bonus for your, a little bonus bang for your buck. In that game, when you come across Mattel, he shoots a missile after you're done throwing trucks at him. You don't have to hit it with your heat vision. You don't have to do anything other than catch up with that missile. Once you catch up to it, it's a cutscene and you're done. So just catch up to the missile. For the love of Pete. Boy, that was like about two hours of my life that I will never get back trying to figure that out. Because he shoots a missile, you're chasing it. All you have to do is catch up. Moral of the story. A little extra bang for your buck. You're welcome. So to kind of come in here... After reading, you know, a good cross-section of these comic appearances, seeing some of his other appearances, has my take on Metallo changed? Because I, you know, as I mentioned, I placed him at the middle rung of the B-list, which isn't a bad place to be. We're not Kathy Griffin yet. But has my opinion of him changed after kind of exploring some of this? No, not really. I I think he's a cool character visually and in concept, at least the post-crisis version. I still think the animated series just really hit it out of the park 
by making him this complex character, and they did it well by introducing John Corbin before introducing Metallo. Because John Corbin appears in the pilot. He is actually the villain himself, and then episodes later, through some great continuity, hey, we get Metallo. Perfect. And that was exactly, exactly what needed to be done. Uh, the post-Infinite Crisis era turned him into Major Talbot from the Hulk, which I should like. And that was echoed in the New 52 era, but I should like it. Unfortunately, I, I like Major Talbot um, as the heel in the Hulk. I don't want to see the exact same thing play out in Superman. I, these are my two favorite characters on the planet. Um, I like Superman to have his world, Hulk to have his world. They don't necessarily need to cross over a lot. And sorry, I'm sorry, but I hate, hate, hate the orange and green costume. It looks like the Brady Bunch's living room puked all over him. And we're not just talking like a little bit. I mean, this is like drunken bender, frozen daiquiris all over him. Now, ultimately, I will place Metallo in maybe my top top seven. He's not. He's still in the top ten, but he's a little bit closer to the to the top five. But then they place a lot of villains above him, and, and some that would be kind of strange picks, I, I assume. But he is a formidable foe. foe. Um, he has a lot of potential, but I haven't seen him hit that potential in the comics yet. And once again, that key word is yet. So that is my final word on Metallo. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Superman Forever Radio. And I know, I know, I know what you're saying. But Dave, Dave, isn't this where we normally talk about Superman the Animated Series? And yes, um, now Superman the Animated Series, we didn't have an episode 50 because that was already running at almost two hours. Just because I wanted to really give that material some reverence. And then, well, Darkseid did his Darkseid thing and hijacked my show for his, whatever you want to call it. I don't call it a Christmas special, but... That's his thing. Um, so that got scrapped. And then I had a rerun episode. So for the last three episodes, I haven't been hitting it. Um, I'm going to come back. I'm going to put it on the back burner for a bit until I can really reapproach it. Because I've been thinking about it. I want a fresh perspective, a fresh way to present it. Uh, but I will come back to it at some point. I just don't know when yet. But look at it this way. Here's the silver lining. That will give me more time to spend on the topics that I do. Um, I want to do some more episodes like this one uh, for the next couple of months where we just kind of take, uh, say, Metallo, say a villain, say a, a fellow hero, and kind of dig in. Um, so I get more time to devote to that. And next time we have a doozy. We have a heck of a doozy. It's something I'm very excited about. Next time we look at Superman's paramour, fearless girl reporter Lois Lane. So I'm looking forward to that. I will see you next week. Until then... Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for those that emailed, and keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Good night, folks. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a NatWorld production. You can find the show on iTunes with backlogs of episodes, where you can also leave a review. The show finds its home at supermanforever.com, and is a very proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. You can friend the show on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio and email the show at mail at supermanforever.com. David can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash superdaveweeder. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. 
Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, are all properties of Warner Brothers Entertainment and DC Entertainment. All music and sound clips used on the show are copyright their respective owners, and no infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Thank you.